Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks, an audio travel guide aimed to inspire you and your family to visit America's national parks and help you get the most out of your park experience. This is your host, Danielle. This is episode number 14. In this episode, Brian and I speak with Becky Lomax, author of The Moon Guidebook, USA National Parks. National Park Week is April 20th to the 28th, and summer is around the corner. Becky provides helpful tips for your trip planning. We also want to hear about your adventures. Do you have a story to tell about your family's experience at a national park, a favorite recommendation to share, or how this podcast helped enrich your trip? Email us at hello at everybody'snps.com. You can write us a message or even record a short voice memo on your phone and then attach it to the email. You may be featured on an upcoming episode. Again, the email is hello at everybody'snps.com. Before I get to today's topic, I want to take a moment to talk about listener support. If you are already a patron of the podcast, thank you so much, and feel free to skip ahead one minute to today's conversation. If you are not yet a patron and you want to hear my thoughts on this topic, here they are. This podcast is a labor of love. We were looking for a podcast that would help us in planning our family trips to national parks. We could not find one, and so we decided to create the podcast we were looking for. I ask you this question, has this podcast brought you value? If so, would you consider becoming a patron by offering financial support? Patreon is a platform that allows for recurring monthly support for as low as a dollar per month. You may find a link on our website, everybody'snationalparks.com, to support the show. Thank you to all of our patrons. I want to give a special shout out to Dale, Alyssa, Jeff, Marie, and Monica. Thank you for listening to this and for considering supporting Everybody's National Parks. Now let's get to the conversation. Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks. Today, I have a special guest with me, Becky Lomax, who is author of Moon USA National Parks, The Complete Guide to All 59 Parks. Now, Becky has a long history in the national parks. She spent most of her life in the national parks and her great-grandparents back in 1902 spent their honeymoon in Yellowstone. And her father was also a park ranger. So she spent a lot of time in Washington State and hiking Mount Rainier. So Becky has a lot of great information to share with us today. Hi, Becky. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. And a funny little thing before we jump in, Becky and I, though we've never met in person, I feel like we're friends because (laughs) we've met on Twitter and there's a lot of national park enthusiasts on social media, as you may imagine. And we do a weekly hashtag park chat on Wednesday evenings. And so that's where we met each other and I feel like we know each other. So it's really fun to do this together. Yes, it is. So Becky, as As you well know, National Park Week is coming up from April 20th to the 28th. And so I'm so thrilled that we get to talk to you and put this out right before National Park Week starts. What is there to do? And can you tell us about National Park Week and what you'll do if you have specific plans? Oh, yeah. So National Park Week is really cool because... Many of the parks, and it varies park to park on this, 
many of them will do special programs during the week because they're celebrating, you know, what's happening seasonally in the parks, as well as, you know, some of their new programs that are starting up and so forth. But, you know, some parks are still like, digging out of winter right now. <laughs> so right. Uh, they've got a whole different program going on. But all of the parks, no matter what, the best thing is on April 20th, the first day, it's free entry to the parks. So they don't collect any entry fee. You just get to go in free and enjoy whatever they have going on. Nice. And then, you know, for me, I have the advantage of living 25 minutes from Glacier National Park in Montana. Wow. Yeah, so it's really easy to get over there. So what am I doing during National Park Week? I'll go to the park, to Glacier Park. And right now, the snow plows are up there clearing, going to the Sun Road, all the snow, the feet and feet and feet of snow that have piled up on winter. So as they clear the road, they don't allow vehicles on it, but they allow bicycles. So this is the start of our bicycle season in Glacier Park. And we get to ride the road without any cars on it. And you can just ride going to the Sun Road as high as you can until you hit the wall of snow where the snow plows are. And this goes on for the next two months. So National Park Week is kind of cool because that's the launch of it all. We get to start right. biking season there. <laughs> well, it, it sounds like it's not just the kickoff for biking season, but National Parks Week sounds like it's the kickoff for just the season in general of visiting your parks. The high seasons, for most yes. of the parks, the high seasons are now coming. It's getting quicker and quicker uh, and closer and closer to summer. So. Uh, it sounds like it's a great kickoff for the season. It is. That sounds so nice. Well, we're going to try to do some National Park Week activities. We'll be spending some time in Shenandoah. We'll be in New York a little bit and in D.C. a little bit. So hopefully we can hit some of those events. Years ago, we were in the Smoky Mountains on Junior Ranger Day, which was fantastic. Fun. Very fun. That's awesome. So yeah. I hope we can manage to uh, be in some sort of a national park unit for Junior Ranger Day this year. <laughs> yeah, that'll be cool. That'll be cool. And I'll be missing you in Shenandoah by what? I'm there a week before you, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think it's actually just a few days different. Yeah. I think we're missing yeah. each other by like four days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Darn. Need better planning there. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully we'll get to run into you in Yosemite. So exactly. It sounds like we might have some days overlapping. So <laughs> that'll be fun. Speaking of, you know, making plans, it's spring break time and people are starting to think about summer. School is starting to wind down and summer's gonna be here before we know it. What are your favorite parks for families to visit in the summer? And, you know, what are your recommendations? Because summer summer is challenging. That's when everyone, <laughs> all the kids are off. So the parks are, especially the ones that are good in summer, as opposed to uh, ones that are way too hot, like where we just were recently. Saguaro is not the ideal place to visit in summertime. No. Yeah, no. Avoid <laughs> so, that. Joshua Tree, Death Valley, Big Bend, Texas. Avoid those. Too hot. What are your recommendations for families planning a summer trip? You know, it can be a little overwhelming to plan a trip to national parks with your family if you've never done it before. Yeah, yeah, it can. One of the first things I recommend for summer is if you can 
go to a mountain park, that's wonderful. And it doesn't matter if it's East Coast mountain parks or West Coast or whatever. The mountain parks tend to be by elevation a little bit cooler than the lower elevation lands. So you're getting up into cooler places that are temperature wise easier to handle if there's summer heat out. And the scenic drives are all open, the hiking trails are starting to get snow free. It just is, it's the best time to go to the mountains, actually. And on the eastern side, I would recommend heading to Acadia or Shenandoah or Great Smokies in summer. Of course, that's the big time when everybody else goes too, so you have to dodge crowds. But if you get early starts on your day, you can get to trailheads before they're packed out and have a much more enjoyable experience. You can also go to other mountain parks, of course, or the mountain parks of the Rocky Mountains like Yellowstone, Grand Teton, Glacier, and Rocky Mountain National Park, or some less traveled ones, Black Canyon of the Gunnison is in there. And uh, then you've got the whole lineup of parks all the way down the Cascade Mountains and the Sierras. And there's a lot of mountain parks there that are wonderful to go visit. But one of the things I always like to recommend people look at, instead of automatically gravitating to the big name, super crowded parks, is maybe take a look at some of those lesser well-known parks, because you get there and you're not fighting the crowds like you are, say, in Yellowstone or Rocky Mountain National Park. So parks like up in the Dakotas, you can go to Badlands, Wind Cave National Park, and Theodore Roosevelt National Park and have amazing wildlife watching up there. And the hiking trails, there's some really cool ones, just really fun shorties to take the kids on. And it's not going to have that frenetic, really cramped experience that you would in some of the other more crowded parks. Another option would be something like Crater Lake in Southern Oregon. You can match that up with Lassen National Park in Northern California. And both of those are less crowded national parks. Beautiful, beautiful parks. But they don't have the crowds that others do. So I'd recommend kind of, you know, if, if you want to put together a summer road trip, maybe poke around with the less crowded less well-known national parks, and you might find some really fun experiences there. That's a really good recommendation. And I don't know why that never occurred to me, going to those mountain destinations so that they'll be cooler in the summertime. That's yeah. very smart. Do you have recommended summer road trips? Well, if you've got more than a week, like I would say if you've got a two-week period that you can go and you want to go hit some major parks here. <laughs> you can link together uh, Yellowstone and Grand Tetons. They're right next to each other. So those are two simple ones to put together. But you could also add on either Glacier National Park. It'll take you a day to get there. Or you could go the other direction and add on Rocky Mountain National Park. So that'll take a day to get down there. So that's, that's a cool way to put three mountain trips together, mountain parks together. And you could do the same thing in California with Kings Canyon, Sequoia, and Yosemite. They're pretty close. You can also put up in Washington. There's the collection of three parks in Washington State. You can loop those together. Olympic National Park, North Cascades, and Mount Rainier. And to get between them, you take a ferry. 
which is kind of cool. <laughs> so, you know, there's ways of linking together some of the parks out in the east. If you want to link together Shenandoah and Great Smokies, you've got the Blue Ridge Parkway connecting the two of them, essentially. And that's a great way to experience part of that. Yeah, we've spent a lot of time in the Smokies and we spent a lot of time in Shenandoah, but we've never had the opportunity to really spend a lot of time on the Blue Ridge Parkway. And that is on my list. And that's a lot of miles in there. So it is is a lot of miles. You got to have some time in there to pull it off. I know we asked you about road trips, but do you also recommend just taking a deep dive on a particular park, even if it is, you know, you're on Glacier's doorstep, I would imagine that if we camped out in your garage for a month, we probably couldn't see all of the park. Um, we'd probably do a, a, big, a big chunk of it, probably get a really good feel of it, but probably still would be missing some trails and some other things to do. So do you also see that as a viable type of option? You know, just if you have two weeks, really do a deep dive and spend it all at one park, or do you recommend spreading out and spreading your wings a bit if you had, a, if you had the opportunity and the time? You know, my preference is to concentrate on one park or just two really close parks because I think the concept of getting in a car and driving tons of miles and, you know, toe-tagging a park, hopping back in the car and going to the next park and toe-tagging that, it kind of makes you crazy. (laughs) It makes me crazy. And if you can go to one park or two parks and just concentrate, you've got time then to go hiking and to take the scenic drives and to go wildlife watching in the evening and to maybe try fishing and to go ride horseback, to paddle kayaks, to swim in the lakes, to attend ranger programs, and maybe tack on one of the new dark sky programs at night. And those just when you can sit in one park and have a whole plethora of experiences you go away essentially just loving that park because you've had such a rich rich full time there and that's worth so much more than hours in the car yeah we're with you i again i have nothing but respect for people and you know there are people who challenge themselves to see all 59 in a year and i have nothing but respect for them it's a it's a neat project but just not for me uh, and not for exactly. us. If anything, even when we do spend, we're spending about seven, eight days in Yosemite. And I know when we're going to be leaving Yosemite, I'll say like, I felt like we just scratched the surface and there's the high Sierras and there's so much more that we could have done. But you know, that's part of vacation. You can only, you can only do what you can do, but I'm with you. That really experiencing a park, not only the main attractions, but some of the other less traveled trails or activities. Yes. It yes. is a way, and also a way to avoid the crowds. We always say that even in high season, it's not that difficult if you're willing to get up early or find another trail that is not maybe the more well-renowned trails that you can get away from people, which is always, at least for now, it's a great way to even, if you need that solitude, even in the middle of July, you can get it. Exactly. You know, what's funny is even on some of those super crowded trails, within two miles, if you can go past that two or three mile mark, you're out of the crowds because a lot of people will just do the first little bit and then turn around and go back because they don't want to hike the full thing. That's a way of really getting away from the crowds and really seeing some backcountry and amazing scenery and wildlife watching out there. Yeah, those are all really good suggestions. Becky, I think you listened to 
our last episode was with Ken Burns, episode 13. Right. Yes. And he talked about his first memory in the national parks. And so I wonder if you could share your first memory. I, I'm not sure it's my first, but I can share a memory. Definitely. I know my parents took me to Mount Rainier when I was five months old and they hiked me into Bench Lake. And Obviously, five months old, I'm too young to remember this. So there's photos that we have of the three of us on the trail and Mount Rainier in the background. I think I had to be carried either in my mother's arms or as in my dad's pack. I'm not sure which way the traveling actually happened to get me on the trail there. But going into Bench Lake was a family favorite, and we used to go back again and again and one of my earliest memories there is one summer we went in earlier than usual. I think it kind of might have been July 4th. And the second part of the trail was quite snowy. And so we got to the lake and half of the lake is still frozen. Well, that really didn't matter to us because we loved it anyway. My dad, you know, takes his fishing pole and goes out there and starts to fish. And my brother and I are playing around and we found a floating iceberg. And we both climbed on this little iceberg. And then we kind of found some sticks and we paddled around this little lake on this iceberg and we had a blast. It was so fun. <laughs> you were like a polar bear. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure we were soaking wet. I can't remember that part. All I remember is that it was really cool. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and how old were you? Oh gosh, I was probably six. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, my brother would have been, you know, like a year and a half, two years younger. So. <laughs> and it, it, it sounds like you had your imagination turned on and were just in your own world, which is also part of the fun too. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, as kids going camping all the time at Mount Rainier, we, we were just in heaven in the campsite. There was never a moment where we were sitting around going, we're bored. It was, yeah. <laughs> we were always out, you know, playing in the, in the nearest Creek or climbing the trees or, you know, whatever, looking for rocks or, whatever. It was just always found something cool to do. Yeah, we say, especially with our youngest, there's a direct correlation in how much fun she's having when we're camping and how dirty she is. Oh, and, and we yes. don't, yeah, and we don't, <laughs> we don't give her a hard time. Like if she's nice and dirty, uh, good, then she's, she's yes. doing the right thing. Exactly. So it's, it's a, yeah. <laughs> I totally agree with you. So you've spent so much time in the parks since birth, practically. You know, what stands out to you? Obviously, there have been so many changes, but is there anything that you see, whether maybe it's nice to start with the positive, but positive or negative, whatever you want to share, and, you know, what you've seen in the parks over the years? Yeah. I, you know, I have to, I have to go with climate change because glaciers, whether they were on Mount Rainier or Mount Olympus in the Olympics or, you know, in the North Cascades or here in Glacier Park, those glaciers have been a huge part of my life and my experiences. Climbing Mount Rainier to the summit, you're on, you're on glaciers the whole way up there. Well, those glaciers 
are melting and they're shrinking now where in my lifetime, I can go back to these places and I can visibly see the difference. I can see where when I was at Mount Rainier a couple years ago, we went on a hike where we were overlooking the bottom of the Emmons Glacier. Well, I went there in high school with a bunch of girlfriends and we hiked up the base of the glacier and kind of along the moraine of it. It was so melted back that that area that we hiked on was now forest growing up and the ice was way up the hill. And I'm watching that same thing happen here in Glacier Park with the the melting glaciers. And so some of our glaciers that have had this large, what would I say, kind of large swales of ice on them, they're now thinning down into flat pancakes. And that's pretty shocking for me to see, you know, going back year after year and you see the same glacier, you, you can actually mark its edges going in and see, oh, this rock two years ago was being carried down the glacier on the ice, and now it's, the ice has melted from it, and it's just sitting on rock now. So those, wow. changes are, yeah, those changes are pretty amazing to watch over time, and they're visible to me, very. So you know, one perspective we would love from you is you know the parks have been a legacy you've grown up with the parks and and now you're an off and you've been to all of them if not maybe you just have a few hours. where do you think the parks should evolve to or maybe there's one consistent theme where you thought you know i wish they did more of this for us i wish the camping and lodging reservation system was uniform throughout the park <laughs> system and it, yes. and it depends on who the vendor is and i understand why but you know, that can, for some people, be daunting and be a, and a bit frustrating. Or yes. is there something more overarching and thematic where you're thinking, you know, I wish the parks would be more reflective on X or Y. Maybe 30 years ago, someone would say, you know, I don't know if the parks are reflecting Native peoples as much their impact on where these parks are, which now the parks system is, is doing, I think, doing the best they can to really incorporate Native American story in, in the parks as well. So is there something just with your experience that you think that the parks could be doing more of it or better of? Okay, I'm thinking about this. <laughs> putting it Sorry, together. I gave you a tough one. Sorry. Yeah, you did. This is a new question, by the way, that I haven't gotten before. Okay, let me answer it this way. So it's kind of more in a positive spin rather than a rant about what they should and shouldn't be doing. One of the things I've seen the parks start up recently is these dark sky programs because mm -hmm. 80% of the people in America barely see the stars in the sky anymore because the city light is so bright. So when you go to our national parks, many of them are away from those city lights and the stars come out and they're incredible. So the parks are responding to essentially a lack of what many people have in their lives. And they're now adding these dark sky programs to help people experience those night skies where you can actually go out and see the Milky Way at night and get a tour of it with a ranger. Some of the park programs will actually have these giant telescopes where you get to look through at cloud nebulas and the rings of Saturn and things like that. 
And so I think that type of thing is a beautiful thing that the parks have done. That's the type of programming I would like to see more of is where they're looking at what might be missing in people's lives and saying, okay, national parks can answer this. We can, <laughs> we can give them this experience that is no longer a part of their daily lives because of something so simple, yeah. so much light. So that's where I would like to see, you know, in the future, the parks kind of continue to build and grow more in that direction. Yeah, you know, I agree because we've done some of those programs at Shenandoah. And for those trips, they were the highlight for our girls. And a matter of fact, when we've gone back, our girls have asked, can you plan our trip around yeah. another astronomy <laughs> program? And you know, not to get too cosmic about it, but to have the, it's not a contrast, I guess the compliments, we have the natural environment here on the good old earth, whether it's the Blue Ridge Mountains or it's Lodge Pine Poles and Yellowstone and the geothermal features, but you also, you know, you see the cosmos. It really ties it all together nicely. Yeah, that is a great point that to really complete the theme and not just be so myopic on, it's easy to be myopic when you see how great and gorgeous Glacier National Park is, but to just look up and realize we're all part of one thing and we're all part of, I guess I am getting uh, cosmological <laughs> about it. We're all part of the cosmos, right? I guess, I guess we are right. getting a little bit philosophical about it. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that's a good point. We're all pretty small when you start looking at those stars and planets out there and everything. And that's how we felt at the Grand Canyon. I remember yeah. when we, we had dinner and you know, walked back to our room. We were staying in one of the lodges there. And seeing that sky next to this immense canyon <laughs> and the base closest to the river is half the age of the earth. That yeah. was just incredible. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Totally blow away. Did you have a favorite experience at a park while you were writing your book? While I was writing my book. Hmm. Or if not, then a favorite experience, period. Yeah. I have to go more with the lifetime approach here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard question because, you know, when I, when I think about my favorite park experiences, it's like, oh my gosh, climbing to the summit of Mount Rainier was cool. Backpacking for 10 days through the Grand Canyon was way cool. Bicycling the White Rim for five days in Canyonlands was awesome. Hiking at midnight up to the Exit Glacier in Kenai Fjords National Park in Alaska. I mean, it wasn't dark at midnight. So we get there and say, oh, well, let's go hiking. And, you know, cross-country skiing in Yellowstone in winter. Those are experiences that are just so mind-blowing. You know, they have, they have made my life rich. But I guess... Back to this night sky theme, there's one experience that I had quite a few years ago in Glacier when I was backpacking off trail with a friend. We were camping up on a saddle looking over, looking kind of down on two large glaciers. And, you know, the glaciers it's ice. So there's kind of a reflective quality to them. So the moon came up totally full and just lit those glaciers up. I mean, it was light. There was light coming out of the glaciers because of the full moon 
you know, projecting onto it. Well, that in itself was pretty impressive. And we're watching, I mean, we, we couldn't go to bed because it was just so amazing to watch the full moon. So we sat and watched for, I don't know, more than an hour or so. And then finally, the moon set. And when the moon set, that's when the Milky Way came out and all the stars and it just glowed overhead with, I mean, it was so crystal clear. And then as we're sitting there just wowing at the stars, the northern lights start going off. Wow. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so we, oh. didn't, <laughs> we didn't get any sleep that night. Between the full moon, the stars, the northern lights, it was just like incredible out there. And to me, you know, that, that epitomizes what is the experiential thing of being in the national parks is if you go out and even just sit someplace and watch the wildlife go by and watch you know the wind in the flowers or the trees I mean it's just beautiful no matter what or where you are but just to absorb that over several hours or you know a, a nighttime is just wonderful that sounds absolutely incredible <laughs> well I think I think Becky just dunked on us, Danielle. Wow, that sounds, that sounds really amazing. <laughs> wow. I'll keep going back out there to repeat that experience and it won't happen again. <laughs> yeah. That, that seems like a once in a lifetime. That was pretty cool. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and all your knowledge of the national parks. And once again, I have with me Becky Lomax, author of Moon Travel Guides, the USA National Parks, the complete guide to all 59 national parks. And I suppose there's two more parks now, but <laughs> yep, <laughs> just in this short more. time. In the short time since the book came out. And if people want to get your book, what's the best way to do that? You know, it's, it's available just about anywhere. You can get it online. Many independent bookstores are carrying it. So you can go down to your favorite bookstore and get it. Or you can go online to the big retailers and get it there if you'd like to. Great. Well, we have it and we love this guidebook. So we highly recommend it. If you're already, you know, know your stuff about national parks, but need some more reference, or if you're just getting started, this is our go-to guide to decide where we want to go to next. So thank you so much for your help with this, Becky. We love your book. Oh, good. <laughs> thank, well, you. thank you so much. And uh, we look forward to you know, seeing you on the trails and talking with you over Twitter. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And hope we get to run into you in Yosemite. <laughs> sounds That'll be great. exciting. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. Send us your stories, tips, or comments to hello at everybodysnps.com. You can write us a message or even record a short voice memo on your phone and then attach it to the email. You may be featured on an upcoming episode. Again, the email is hello at everybodysnps.com. Subscribe for free to Everybody's National Parks on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, become a patron. Just click on support our show on our homepage, everybodysnationalparks.com. We also appreciate if you write a review, give us a five-star rating, and tell your friends. This helps more people find us. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag everybodysnationalparks. 
Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.